1: So what is the difference between spiritual guidance and spiritual abuse? Most of us would think there's a huge difference and certainly most of us would deny that when we offer spiritual guidance we might also be spiritually abusing. But it is most important that we understand the distinction if we're to serve others in any spiritual capacity. And it's also important that we understand the distinction if we suspect that maybe we've been spiritually abused. Typically we think of abuse only in terms of its physical, emotional, or sexual forms. But what's beginning over time and experience to be exposed is a kind of abuse of the spirit that creates a great divide between the soul of a person and his or her identity. This show is going to clearly differentiate spiritual guidance from spiritual abuse. So if you're in any kind of spiritual leadership capacity, this show is for you. And if you suspect or wonder about spiritual abuse, this show is also for you. So stay here for, this, for the entire show. We've got a lot of good things to talk about today. So first, let me uh, give you a definition again of spiritual abuse. I I had another show not long ago on spiritual abuse, so you can go and listen to that one uh, if you want to as well. But I'm going to give a brief definition now of what spiritual abuse is. First of all, what spiritual abuse is not is a wound of the soul. The soul cannot be wounded. I love the way the Bhagavad Gita talks about that. It says weapons cannot cut it, fire cannot burn it, water cannot wet it. And wind cannot dry it. So I, I love that idea. So the soul is permanent. It's everlasting. It's uh, all pervasive. It's all of those things that the Bhagavad Gita says that it is. It is uh, our eternal soul. It is, uh, it is the part of us that cannot die, cannot be wounded. And so it is also interchangeably uh, termed with as the authentic self. I think that the soul and the self, in, in, in my way of looking at it, are the same exact thing. Carl Jung looked at it that way as well, uh, as have others, as does the Bhagavad Gita, in fact. Um, uh, and and uh, uh, the Buddha talks about self, no self, and how, and how there's a, a, an equation between those two, a mysterious equation between those two, also uh, with Tathagatagarbha. Um, but uh, when we talk about the soul, we're not talking about something that can be wounded, so I want to be really clear about that. However, it is possible to put a great divide between the soul and the way a person lives. So a person can live entirely out of an identity that is not his soul. He's living as if his life force comes from that identity. He's living as if, his, the source of his survival comes from that identity, but it doesn't. It comes from the soul. But we can be blind to the soul. We can not hear the soul. We can dismiss the soul. We can uh, uh, sort of um, deny that what the soul tells us is actual or true. So there are many ways that we can keep that divide or grow it wider and wider over time, but it generally starts with some form of spiritual abuse. Uh, so that I'm not able to get in touch with my soul. It's difficult for me to even sometimes feel my own feelings, which are not the same as my soul, but can get me to my soul if I listen to my feelings long enough. Um, And so it's important to, to understand the distinction there. We're not talking about a wound of the soul. We're talking about a divide between the soul and the identity. So what is an identity? So let me clarify that. The identity is the mask and costume we put on. Uh, And we do that generally because we feel like we have to, to survive. Um, We might do that in a family of origin where we're expected to be something in particular. And we may not ever be told we're expected to be that, but we know it. It's just in the air. It's it's sort of in the insistence of body language and nonverbal cues. And so we, we get it. We get that information from the nonverbal cues and the body language and the and the stuff that's unresolved floating around in the air, we get it that we're supposed to be this way, not that way. And so we become this way, not that way. And we we really work hard at that so that we can please our parents or please the people that are our primary caregivers, our primary family members. So we we do that. And, and what's happened there is that what's, there's been a spiritual wound. And the spiritual wound is that I'm being told not to be my soul. But to be something other than my soul and I feel like I'm I have to comply and so uh, there's other information out there about this uh, one of the uh, best books I've ever seen about it is uh, a psychological book called the Primal Wound by a man named Furman and a woman named Gia and uh, they wrote this wonderful transpersonal book about that whole idea and I strongly recommend re- reading that book if you're interested in how exactly how this wounding can take place. They don't necessarily call it spiritual abuse, but it's the same thing. So, so okay, we've got a definition now of the identity, and we've got a definition of, of spiritual abuse. Spiritual abuse happens in many ways. It can happen in a home. It can happen in a church. It can happen in a mosque. It can happen in a temple. It can happen in a religion. It can happen in a uh, in a non-religious but spiritual kind of program. We all uh, are very familiar with, uh, most of us, I should say, are very familiar with the um, the um, a sweat lodge ceremony in Arizona uh, conducted by James Arthur Ray in which three people died. Um, he A jury convicted him of um, negligent homicide, I believe it was, but some form of murder. And because he, what he had done was teach them that they should stay in that in the sweat lodge uh, as a way of sort of a metaphorical death so that they could give up an old way of being and become something new. And some people literally died as a result. But there had been, in my view, spiritual abuse happening long before that sweat lodge ever opened its tent door. Um, they, uh, the spiritual abuse was that, the, the, that his leadership was what should be listened to. And don't listen to the voices in your head, don't listen to your own self, don't listen to those things, those are negative, listen to me. This also happens sometimes in uh, churches in the Christian religion where people are taught that they should not listen to themselves because that could be the whisperings of the devil. They should listen rather to the interpretations of the Bible that are given to them by by the pastor or the leader of that church. And, and in so doing, what they're saying is, this interpretation is the only correct possible one, and there is no other interpretation. Furthermore, the Bible is inerrant, meaning there's no errors in it. What that really means is, my interpretation is not mistaken, and so therefore you should listen to me. I've got the right answer for you, and those are the only answers possible, and any other answer is of the devil. What that does is teach a person that to go within to find the answers is wrong. What that does is exactly the opposite of what finding one's soul is all about. That means it's spiritually abusive. So when teachers teach people not to go within, when they teach people to stay out of the within that Jesus described as the kingdom of heaven, he said the kingdom of heaven in Luke 21, 17, I believe, he said, or maybe it's 17:21. look it up, you'll find out, um, uh, he said that the kingdom of heaven is within us. So, the kingdom of heaven, I think, as can be equated with the soul. Um, that's my opinion. You can change that opinion if you if you so desire. But that's what I think he's talking about. He's talking about an inner spiritual nature, which I define as the soul or the spirit. I think those are interchangeable terms as well. Spirit, spirit, and soul are the same thing. So, when when he said that that the Kingdom of Heaven is within, he also said that there are leaders, spiritual leaders, who are trying to keep people from entering the Kingdom of Heaven. And those were the Pharisees and the scribes of his time. He said, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, because you keep people from entering and you do not enter yourself. So what he's basically saying there is that, uh, you know, when we teach people to not go inside themselves, within, where the Kingdom of Heaven resides, we're we're committing spiritual abuse. We are we are keeping people from entering their own personal kingdom of heaven, and uh, that that's a uh, uh, it's, it's a total misguidance. It's in a, a form of abuse. So there is a lot of that going around, particularly in this day where the, where religion and politics has become equated in some kind of way where people are turning on their ear to vote for uh, certain Republican politicians because those politicians are, t- are being uh, pushed in churches. They're being told by their pastor that to vote against, for example, Donald Trump would be to sin against God. And there's a, a real equation there. They're, they're being told that God, uh, Donald Trump is God's appointed leader. And therefore, whatever he does is okay. doesn't matter what he does. I, we have not seen this kind of leadership come forth into the public eye um, until recently. And it's a very dangerous, spiritually abusive form of leadership that teaches people that they should not listen to themselves. They should not listen to their own intuition. They should not listen to their own discernment. They should not listen to what, the, what their own hearts and minds say. They should listen only to what the pastor says because the pastor's right and the pastor has true leadership to give them. And so what people are doing is just listening to the pastor and this is what we should believe because we're scared to look inside of ourselves because that could be the devil and the devil is very dangerous. So it's another, uh, one of the earmarks of spiritual abuse is that it's leadership by fear. So um, being, being taught that to listen to yourself is, uh is frightening is something dangerous to do is a form of spiritual abuse um so a uh, 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 person might go to see their pastor or their pastoral counselor to be told to find out you know what to do about a marriage or a divorce or something like that and they're told explicitly what to do in this case i'm not saying they're always told that because that's not true but in this case of spiritual abuse, they are being told very often not to listen to their own hearts and their own minds, but to listen rather to the interpretation of uh, a Scripture. And it's the pastor's interpretation of the Scripture that's been passed down from, uh, from translation, to, uh, translation to translation to translation of translations. And many of the translations of the, of the Bible that are extant were translated originally at a time where there was no such thing as separation of church and state, and therefore there was no um, there 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 was a threat to uh, translate according to the what the political ideas about who Jesus was and who God was and what what that was all about was that's what went into the translations. For example, the word wrath of God is one that calls forth all kinds of imaginal uh, terrors that people have. And that word is used very commonly to frighten people into compliance with coming to church, being saved, walking the aisle, doing the right thing supposedly, and all those things. So the wrath of God is this big thing. But when you look up the root language, it doesn't say wrath of God. It says the deep desire of God. It is the passion of God. In other words, God has a deep passion for our spiritual pathway that may or may not include morality so much as it does include a closeness and a presence with the divine. So uh, there's a lot of things like that in the root language that we could study. Um, you know, we could take one word every week and, and learn something different about than what the translations say it means. Um, the word righteousness, for example, have we've been taught that that has to do with morality. That's not what it means. Yes, there is a, is a kind of right living that's in there, but it's the, the main word that encompasses all of those others, the main translation that encompasses all the others in that translation or possible translation is um, only Christ truly. So really, righteousness is a way of being so present with the divine, that like the psalmist says, we dwell in the divine. So that so that we're, we become only Christ truly. We become the soul. We become the Christ nature. In a similar way to what Buddha, the Buddha talked about, or the people after the Buddha talked about becoming the Buddha nature, uh, as the Bhagavad Gita talks about becoming divine self. So it, it, you know what we're talking about is that it, it is entirely possible to mistranslate texts and teach those texts as if they're factual, when in fact the root language says something entirely different. Um, so that that's one thing that we could definitely look at. But the other thing is that when we're teaching people how to look outside of themselves for truth, we're teaching them to separate themselves from their own souls. So rather than teaching people to look outside of themselves with anything, including the law of attraction, including uh, new age thinking, new thought thinking, new human potential uh, thinking, including, you know, uh, Islam, including uh, Hinduism, including any faith across the globe. We can teach people to look outside of themselves for truth instead of looking inside of themselves for truth. What we've been taught is that if you look inside yourself for truth, you're not gonna you're gonna find a different truth than the one I believe in and so therefore you shouldn't look inside yourself for truth and uh, the, the real actuality is that when people have had spiritual experiences and by that I, I mean mystical experiences that cannot be explained uh, throughout the world with with regard without regard to religion uh, whether they're Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, whatever they are, the experiences are very, very similar across the board. They have a unitive experience in which they feel like they're one with all. There's a deep love. There's a deep compassion. There's a, a deep peace, a deep, deep, deep and, and for a while lasting peace. There's a sense of not being afraid of anything. There's a sense of eternity. There's a sense that you, you've in, you've come into the presence of the divine. Those things are experienced across the board without regard to religion. So, if we look inside of ourselves, what we're most likely to find is the real truth, the one and only truth, which is divine, which is the divine. The one and only thing that is eternal and will last forever is the divine. And we have that in our own souls. We have the what some would call a spark of the divine in our own souls. And so, that, that, that deepest essence of who we are is who we can live to be but we're being taught not to live to be that but rather come outside of yourself and live according to a social and and or religious code that tells you who to be tells you who you are tells you how to be afraid of the wrath of god or the wrath of allah or the or uh, the deep punishment of bad karma or you know those things be very afraid look outside of yourself And be very afraid of bad circumstances coming your way because you're going to get punished for having done something either in this life or in another life. All of those ideas are teaching us to live from fear instead of living from our souls. The question our soul wants to ask is not what should I do so I can be sure not to be punished or what can I do to make sure I don't have bad karma, but rather what is my truest soul desire? What is my uh, truest, deepest compassion right now? Those are questions, two questions that are very, very valid. And when we ask those questions, it automatically sends us inside of ourselves so that we begin to live from inside out instead of living from outside in. And that's what we've been taught to do. We've been taught to internalize the external rather than taking what's inside of us and manifesting it in the external world and uh so there's a real powerful way of living from taking what's inside of us we find it in there we spend some time in there being present with it and listening to it and it speaks to us and we say oh okay now i can take this outside we're going to talk some more about that right after the break stay tuned for this right after these messages
0: Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Many of us define our lives by what has already happened. It's a past tense series of events. Do you long for something else? You don't have to live solely in this reality. Tune in for To Win Within with host Strom Thomason. Strom and his guests are here to introduce you to your true self. It's time to emerge from your box and take a beautiful journey of self-love and discovery you'll find yourself exactly where you need to be. To Win Within airs live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora we'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. That thing you seek is within you. We all want to feel valuable, fulfilled, and accomplished in our lives. Yet for many, no matter how hard we try or where we look outside ourselves, the answers seem elusive and unknowable. Connecting with your authentic self is key to a life of peace and tranquility. Listen for Center for Tranquility with host Alma Phillips. You'll learn how to put the pieces in place and get the big picture of your life on earth. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
1: Thanks for coming back to the Authentic Living Show. We've been talking today about the distinctions between spiritual guidance and spiritual abuse. And what we've said thus far is that spiritual abuse is a way of dividing the soul from the identity. And we define the identity as that mask and costume we wear to survive, that uh, we live to to be something other than who we are so that we can feel okay in the world. Um. Unfortunately, our world uh, is not very comfortable with authenticity. We hear a lot today about the authentic self, but most of us don't know how to go there, how to be present with that, and what that means. Um, a lot of people think that, well, you know, I feel like wearing blue jeans with holes in the knees, therefore that's what I should do, and that's that means I'm being authentic. But actually, that could just mean you're being a rebel, which is just another role. Um <laughs> Not to say that I have any problem with blue jeans with holes in them, I don't. But I'm saying that uh, we can get confused about what the self is and what the self isn't because we haven't spent any time in the inner world. When we go into the inner world, we, the self begins to speak to us. The, uh, the soul begins to, to, to uh, grant us some peace. The soul begins to speak to our minds. We, we sort of get information downloaded to us from the soul. And our beliefs change. Our attitudes change. Sometimes our physical health even changes as a result of spending time with the soul, in the presence of the soul. So, uh, so that it's really important to understand that one of the things that Jesus said uh, was that there would come a time, and now is, when people will worship God in spirit and in truth. What he was not saying there is key. He did not say there will come a time and now is when people will worship God in morality. He did not say there will come a time and now is when people will worship God in fear of his wrath. He did not say uh, there will come a time when people will worship God in, uh, in political schematics. He didn't say those things. What he said was there will come a time and now is when people will worship God in spirit and in truth. And so it's really important to understand what that means. How do you worship God in spirit if you're not in your spirit? You can't. So the truth is we don't have a real relationship with any kind of divine unless we go within to have it. But many of us just don't ever spend any time in there. We might spend time reading the Bible and call that a quiet time, We might spend time reading the Quran or in the five prayers. We might spend time, you know, doing the rituals of our religion. But that doesn't necessarily mean we're spending time in the inner world. What we've been taught to do instead is to internalize the external. We've been taught to do right, to say right, to think right, and we've even been taught to feel right. We've been taught to repress any kind of negative feelings. This is one of the New Age uh, uh, sort of philosophies that um, can be spiritually abusive if it's used in that way. Um, The idea that I must always keep a check on my thoughts and my feelings for fear that if I don't, bad negative things are going to happen to me. I attract negative things with negative thoughts. You know, we have that saying that keeps getting repeated over and over again. Thoughts are things, thoughts are things, thoughts. Well, I certainly do think, I don't want to say that how we think doesn't make a difference in our behavior and how we interact with the world and how we interact with self. I I really want to clearly say. At the same time, when we say that we have to always keep a watch on our thoughts and feelings lest they betray us and bring some negative thing in our lives and we have always got to be thinking positive or we're never going to have our dreams come true, what that essentially means is repress everything that is not positive. Send that away. Put that in the unconscious. Don't let that come into your awareness. Now, what happens when stuff goes down into the unconscious? It doesn't sit, sit there. It's active. it's active energy. And it comes out in other ways that are not pretty. Um, you know, we repress anger because it's a negative feeling, and later we find ourselves really, really angry, and we don't know why. <laughs> or we press fear and we find ourselves later having a panic attack. We don't know how. And so we people get into trying and trying and trying and trying and trying to control their thoughts and control their feelings. And what happens is they end up having those feelings or thoughts come out in some other way, sort of leak out of the unconscious in some other way. And then they feel like they failed and now we've got shame attached. So I've had people come to see me in my office and say to me, I've worked so hard on this law of attraction, I've been working on it for years now, and I can't seem to attract what I want. What's wrong with me? And what I say to them is, there's nothing wrong with you. There might be something wrong with the philosophy, but there's nothing wrong with you. So let's rethink the philosophy. Let's think about how rational that really is. To think that you should send away all the thoughts that are negative. Do you think they just disappear? They're unconscious and sit there with their energy until they're given an opportunity to leak out. That's what happens when we push away those things. And so, you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to be always striving toward always being positive any more than it makes a lot of sense to be always striving to be righteous, to be so morally correct. Those things don't make sense because what they do is they repress who we are. Now, now, I want to be clear, I'm not saying we should all go out and start being bad, but that's what people hear when, when, when they hear me saying that morality is not the same as spirituality, they also hear me saying, oh, well, that means everybody's just going to go willy-nilly and do, you know, go get their guns and shoot everybody and, you know, just rob banks and do whatever they want, have sex with whoever they want, and, you know, all kinds of terrible things that are going to be awful. Doom is coming. But that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is morality is just morality. That's all it is, but it's not the same as spirituality, and it will never be the same as spirituality. And I think that's one of the things that Jesus came to tell us. I think that's one of the things that Buddha understood and Krishna understood and, and uh, you know, that it's written about in the sacred writings of, of the books around the world, that, that uh, morality is just morality. It is a thing, but it's not enough, far from enough. And the same is true with this repression of feelings and thoughts. Um, Maybe there is a law of attraction. But if there is, it's not in repressing our thoughts and feelings. It's in attracting those things, places, people, events, and circumstances that will bring us closer and closer to awareness of who we are as a soul. Because that's what's happening in our lives. That's the energy that's going on in our lives. The soul... Is trying to get our attention so that we will become more and more soul. That's what's really going on. And if we, if that happens, in, with regard to whatever religion—Jewish, Christian, Amish, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist—whatever religion you have, um, there is a there, there is a way of getting present with the self, being present with the soul, that allows one to to reach down in there and access information that is sacred, that is beautiful, that is peace, that is love. And that information can then express in the external world. But like I said, we've been taught instead to to internalize the external. We've been taught there's some rules we should obey, some thoughts we should think, some feelings we should have. So people, for example, say to themselves, well, we should just love everybody. and I, do, I believe the self, the soul, does love everybody. But that doesn't mean that we should have primary or significant relationships with everybody. Um, and that's how it gets misconstrued. To think, well, you know, I feel sorry for Joe Blow over there because he's mean to everybody. And that must mean that Joe is is just a broken person and I can help him. I can help Joe if Joe will just let me help him. So you go and try to help Joe. And Joe ends up breaking you. And you can't figure out how that happened. You were trying to be a good person, so how could this happen to you? Well, it happened because you weren't paying attention to your own intuition and your own discernment. You weren't paying attention to what goes on inside of you. You were listening instead to a should, an ought to, a have to, a rule. And those are just morals. They may or may not actually touch your soul. So that... that, that, that consideration for for um, others that it, that negates the self usually comes from having been spiritually abused. Um, somebody has been taught that they should negate self in the name of other. That others should always come first. I hear that a lot. That others should come first. Well, first of all, I don't know how to put something first or second or third I don't know that's a mental game we play that we can actually put someone first other than the self what that means is that myself just disappears my 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 real essence just kind of disappears in the face of what I have to do for other people it doesn't disappear it may go underground but like I said anything we repress is an active energy and it will come out later so when we're pu- pushing away our own desires, it comes up later as resentment. So I have people come to see me and they say, I just resent this and that and the other so much and I need for you to help me make that resentment go away. What they're really saying is my resentment is trying to get my attention and tell me that I'm doing a whole lot of stuff that I don't really want to do. I'm doing a whole lot of stuff out of should, ought to, and have to that is not meaningful at all to me. And it has no real ring of resonance in it. It has no real truth in it. I'm not worshiping in spirit and in truth. I'm worshiping in lies and identity. I'm not worshiping at all, in other words. So I'm I'm living my life based in shoulds, have-tos, and ought-tos, rather than in truth and in spirit. So spiritual abuse... How does it happen? How does a leader spiritually abuse? One of the ways a leader spiritually abuses is to teach people that their inner world should not be trusted. So there's a lot been a lot of talk over the past 10 years in, in the Christian religion in particular in the West that uh, says that you know meditation is dangerous. Uh, meditation is dangerous because you might be listening to the whisperings of the devil. Meditation is dangerous because it teaches us that uh, that we can l- get information from our internal selves, um, and and so there's there's a lot of talk out there among Christian leaders that are teaching us that maybe s- meditation is good. Maybe you can reflect on the Bible. Maybe that's okay. Maybe spend a little quiet time reflecting on the Bible, but don't meditate, because meditation means you get in touch with yourself, and Yourself might just be evil. Yourself might even be aligned with the devil. So don't do that. Let's instead maybe just spend a little time reflecting on the Bible. And of course, the Bible they're talking about is the Bible that says uh, in, in, their particular interpretations, their inter- particular translations of translations of translations that are then interpreted to mean X, Y, and Z. So that's a way of saying, don't go inside yourself. Don't go there. That's a bad thing to do. But it can also happen in lots of other ways. It can happen by parents who say, you know, to, to, uh, to their children, you know, uh, that they should be uh, um, listening to the parents. You know, you don't ever listen to me. Uh, you should be listening to me. Uh, you should be listening to what I have to say, in my opinion, parents who interfere with their children's, um, especially adolescents' um, relationships and things like that to try to tell them how to feel and tell them what to do and tell them who to be friends with and tell them how they should be doing, uh, thinking about their careers and that kind of stuff. That's, that's a kind of spiritual abuse that denies the, that the child could actually access his or her own soul and get information from there. So one of the things I say to spiritual leaders of all kind, whether it's parents or teachers or actual um, pastors or leaders of church or uh, imams or gurus or whatever, that they begin to ask questions rather than teach, rather than tell, here's what you should think, here's what you should feel, here's what you should do, rather than tell, ask, what are you thinking about that? So I do that a lot in my office. I'll say, "What are you thinking about that?" And this, you know, that doesn't mean I can't ever provide a, a mirror for them to look into, or that I can't ever provide an objective outlook on something. But it does mean that very often I'll ask a question about how they feel about that, or what that means to them, or, or you know, what they're thinking about that. And sometimes I'll hear people say, "Well, Mom says that I should do da 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 da,", da. and I say, well, "What do you think?" And they say, "Well, Mom says da 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 da," and I say, "Well, what do you think?" Well, mom says, da 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 da. What they're saying is, I haven't ever learned how to think for myself. Um, and so and that can be the same as Pastor John says, or my guru says. They're not asked, being challenged to listen to themselves, they're being challenged to listen to somebody else. Somebody else knows better than them. And I will say to you that I firmly believe that nobody has more information for you about you than you. You are the expert on you. You are the only expert on you. You're the only expert that ever was and ever will be on you. Nobody on this planet can know you better than you do. Nobody. Nobody can, can uh, tell you what to do better than you can. Nobody can love you better than you can. Nobody can give you peace better than you can. Nobody can give you answers better than you can. Now, I want to be clear. That doesn't mean you can't ever go to somebody and bounce around information. and Maybe that person will say something that you can really resonate with and it it just touches your soul and you go, Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's what I've been looking for. Thank you so much for talking to me and giving me that little piece of information. I resonate with that. That's you being inside yourself while listening to someone else. That's not you negating yourself while listening to someone else, okay? So when we're when we're in leadership positions, we need to be careful to ask questions that encourage people to look inside themselves, not be demanding that they listen to us or that they have our perspective or that they have our truth, but rather encouraging them to look inside themselves because the more they do that, one of the things I say as a psychotherapist, and this is clinical aspect of this otherwise very spiritual program, one of the things that I say is that the hardest part of therapy, but the most essential part of therapy, is teaching the client how to become his or her own therapist. So eventually I want to work myself out of a job. I want to eventually say you know, bye-bye to this client. Not that I don't like them. I generally love my clients very dearly, but uh, but I, I want them to be able to say, "Okay, I got this now. I got, I figured it out. I can rely on myself." That doesn't mean they won't ever come back because they can come back and, and, uh, and, and get you know something else that they need. But it does mean that, that, that the truth resides within them and they've begun to understand that. Okay, that's enough for this, this segment. We're going to be back again in just a few minutes right after this break.. <music>
0: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor. Broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life consciousness and humanity 1111 talk radio is every monday at 11 a.m eastern 8 a.m pacific time on the voice america empowerment channel 1111 talk radio you are not on a journey you are the journey you are experience experiencing itself are you ready to tackle the rules of business you may think you're doing everything by the book Following your own best practice beliefs, bringing in endless consultants, only to find that your business is not moving forward. That's where you need to stop and figure out where things are going wrong. Enter Business Rules with host Peter Feinstein. Peter and his guests will break it all down for you to help you and your business succeed. Listen Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. It's time to transform your life. Start by tuning in to The Glynise Show with Glenise Hughes. Glynise combines business, relationships, wealth, life, and a whole lot of magic to create abundance and prosperity in every part of your life. It's all done through straight and often frank discussions in the best way that Glenise knows how. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Master your life with The Glynise Show. Change your world change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
1: So we're back for the final segment, talking today about the distinctions between spiritual guidance and spiritual abuse. So uh, I said I was going to answer the question, what is the difference between spiritual guidance and spiritual abuse? We've talked a lot about what spiritual abuse is. We've talked a lot about the philosophies behind uh, spiritual guidance and the difference between, uh, you know, the truth, worshiping in truth, spirit and in truth, and, and, and living from morality. We've talked about, we've given definition to several of the terms in this and uh, uh, previous segments. Now I want to get down to the nitty gritty. What is the difference between spiritual guidance and spiritual abuse? So, spiritual abuse is anything that tells us there's only one right way to do this. So that's that's one of the uh, components of spiritual abuse. There's only one right way, and it's the way I'm telling you, and this is the way you have to do it. Spiritual abuse also leads by fear. It says that there's serious, even eternal consequences for not doing it in that one right way. And um, there are, and the other thing is that spiritual abuse also says that we're to feel guilty. The guilt is a a true and honest response to life. So those three things are very, very incremental to to, um, spiritual abuse. Now, spiritual abuse can also be attached to other forms of abuse. Physical abuse, for example. If a person is physically abused, uh, especially by a primary caregiver, there's also a betrayal of the soul in that. Anytime anyone abuses anyone, the person that they are abusing is, is objectified. In other words, the person becomes an it rather than a thou. The person becomes a thing. The person becomes uh, someone, something that is not, uh, doesn't have any feelings. It doesn't matter what I do to you because I need to do this to you. It doesn't matter that you might be hurt by this. I'm not even thinking about that because I need to do this to you. That's a primary principle of any form of abuse, and so uh, when when uh, when we physically abuse a child that is our child, we're parent the parent of that child, or a brother or sister of that child. What we're doing is saying to them, "I betray my role as parent. I betray my role as brother or sister. I betray my role to you. I am. I am. Um, you know, someone who's." Uh, out of the out of the realm of relationship to you, so what I do to you uh, is by a, a, an act committed on an object, not an act committed on a person. And so, what what happens there in that exchange is that there's also a spiritual component to that abuse, in that the person then becomes identified with the abuse. I'm I'm someone that can be abused. I'm someone who. Maybe even is abuse. I am someone who is the, uh, guilty because I should make it stop or I should behave better so it will stop. Um, you know, th- those are some of the things that I-, I identify with these other things instead of identifying with my authentic self because I have to to survive your abuse. And that's what makes it also spiritual abuse. So spiritual abuse can come attached with other forms of abuse. But it's also uh, conducted in quiet little corners of churches and mosques and temples and parks and uh, with the New Age, New Thought and Human Potential movements. It's, it's done everywhere. It doesn't matter what form of religion or lack of religion that we have. Spiritual abuse can happen, particularly when we're teaching someone in whatever fashion we do it to stay out of touch with the self and in touch with what's, what's being taught. So uh, I said that we've learned to internalize the external. So what that means is whatever it is that you say, I need to put that inside of myself instead of accessing my own soul. I need to, to bring your thoughts and your feelings into my heart and mind and act on those things instead of acting on my own soul. Because if I act on my own soul, I could be betraying the relationship between you and I, and I don't want to do that. I don't, I'm afraid that I'll hurt, hurt our relationship. I'm afraid you'll go away. I'm afraid you'll reject me. I'm afraid of punishment. I'm afraid of God. I'm afraid of the divine. I'm afraid that I, uh, I might have to be get bad karma. I'm afraid I might have to go to hell. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. That means I'm being spiritually abused. So spiritual guidance, on the other hand, takes the finger... Of guidance and points it directly back toward the person who's looking for guidance. And we do that by asking questions. How do you feel about that? What does that mean to you? Is that meaningful to you? Or is that something that you're doing that just, you know, you're just doing it? A lot of times I find that people who've been spiritual abuse, spiritually abused are living by rote, they're living as if. Um, there's nobody home inside. They're living robotically. They're living in a, in a place where, that's empty, and they complain about feeling empty. Um, and so what they're saying is, I've left myself behind. I'm not in me. I'm not experiencing the me of me. And so when they do that, what's happening is that, that they get depressed and they feel empty and they don't know why. They come to therapy sometimes because of that. But what we may find at the other end of that, uh, when we're looking at the root cause, is we may find some form of spiritual abuse where the person has been taught that living inside themselves is wrong and living outside themselves is right. So uh, people talk about dissociation sometimes where they you have this out-of-body sense that also some is one of the causes of that is people talk about it is sexual abuse. But I think there's a spiritual component to that, in that the person is, is living somewhere outside of body in touch with maybe with the soul, but not in touch with the body, not in touch with the mind, not in touch with the life. So they're safe up there, but they're not coming down here to experience life because it's too scary, because it's frightening. And uh, so that also can happen as a result of spiritual abuse. Um, the spiritual guidance would have that person, you know, slowly be able to get back in touch with the body, slowly be able to get back in touch, as comfort allows, with the with the with the life, with the emotions, with the beingness of being here in the flesh on planet Earth. So it's uh, it's a matter of understanding the distinctions. And those inner distinctions are very, very, very important. What's the difference between a thought and a feeling? What's the difference between fear and anxiety? What's the difference between anxiety and depression? What's the difference between sadness and depression? So many times we think that any feeling that we feel is really, really bad. You know, so I hear so many people describe their sadness as depression. They're not depressed. They're just sad. But they think they're depressed because they're... they're you know, they're not supposed to have these kind of quote-unquote negative feelings. So they, they determine they're doing something wrong by having a feeling. And that is, is a result of having been spiritually abused. They've been taught that having their own feelings is wrong. It's betraying some ethic. And so when they, when they, when they do that, when they actually feel a feeling, and it comes up as sorrow or deep sorrow, they feel afraid that they've done something wrong and they call it depression and they want to go get you know some medication for that so it, you know there's a lot that goes on with regard to how a person who might be spiritually abused reacts to that spiritual abuse but the key to understanding the difference between spiritual guidance and spiritual abuse is understanding that spiritual guidance is direction back toward the inner self Spiritual abuse is direction out of the inner self and toward the external world. Deny yourself and listen only to somebody else. Listen to, be very afraid. The problem with being very afraid is uh, that we often repress that fear because it's too uncomfortable. We don't want to feel that. So we just repress the fear and live totally on our intellect. And so we live as if we you know, didn't have any fear, so we think. But actually, we're, a lot of our actions are motivated by that repressed fear that, as I said, is still active and has some energy and pushes us to do things that we don't understand. I find this a lot in addiction, that people have been living their lives out of fear, and they have not let themselves know that fear because they're busy uh, using substances to cover up the fear. And so they, they live instead in this uh, airy place that doesn't have any fear or any feeling at all. They don't want to have fear. They don't want to have emotion. They don't want to have these things that go on inside of them. They want rather to experience um, you know, uh, a kind of high, a kind of stay out of it, a kind of flying above problems, a kind of way of not really noticing that there is really something going on that I need to pay attention to. Um, and so they don't solve problems. they problems just get worse and worse and worse. And and then they begin to uh, uh, get slide down the slippery slope further and further toward deeper and deeper addiction, all because of that deep spiritual wound that says there's a divide between my authenticity, my deepest soul, and my uh, my identity, who I actually am as a person. And and when that happens, uh, and when I've repressed my my feelings. Uh, what what can happen there is that I can be so out of touch with those feelings that I don't even realize that I'm being abusive to somebody else. So it's uh, this thing of spiritual abuse is a boogie bear and it, it, and the reason it's called spiritual abuse is because it abuses the spirit. It abuses that connection between you know our identity and our uh, and our soul. What we want to be, truly want to be, is one with our own soul. But we have a duality in the world that says live out outside of yourself. And that's the first spiritual abuse that comes about, you know, just as a result of of the thinking that's present in the, in the world. But add to that that people are going to tell us to stay outside of ourselves by listening on to the, only to the social or familial ethic, or stay outside of ourselves by listening only to the inerrant word of God, or stay outside of ourselves by listening only to what the pastor says about the inerrant word of God, what we're, what we're really getting there is don't look inside yourself. I can't emphasize that enough. That is the, de- the definition of spiritual abuse. When somebody either says or intimates that going inside yourself is a mistake, and staying outside and listening only to somebody else or something else is the right way to live, and it's the only right way to live, and that there's danger in not living that way, well, that's spiritual abuse. How does a person live a life totally bereft of any connection to his own soul? Well, many, 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 many of us are doing it every day, all day, every day. And that's a sad thing. But hopefully, as time goes by, what's happening is we're individuating, as Carl Jung would use it, uh, use that term. We are becoming more and more aware of who we are as a soul. And as we do that, we grow into greater awareness. And I think that's, you know, that's an opportunity we have now uh, to, to look at what's going on in our religions. What's going on in the teachings of our religions? What's going on in the religion that's connected to politics? What's going on in all of that that uh, is not really resonating with our souls? If it doesn't really resonate with your soul, then maybe you need to look at it again and ask yourself some questions about what's really true and false there. What really is meaningful to you? What really are your values? What are your values as opposed to what you got taught? What are your values? What do you really believe? What do you really feel passionate about? What, you know, do you think it's okay to, for example, for the people in Flint, Michigan, to still have dirty water? Do you think that's okay? Um, do you think it's okay to take away all the EPA rules uh, that have protected us for several years now? Do you think that's okay? Do you think it's okay to, uh, to take away health care for millions of people? Do you think that's okay? What do you think? What do you think? Not what did your pastor say to think. Not what does your mama think. Not what does your daddy think. Not what does your wife think or your husband think. What do you think? What does your soul have to say? Those are the right questions to ask. Those are the right questions to ask. So my soul says that it's about time to end the show today, and uh, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna end on that note with those questions. And I would challenge each of you to think about those kinds of questions as you. Journey into further and further understanding of who you are as an authentic person. And we'll be back again next week. We got Sarah Wiseman coming next week to talk about her new book called uh, "Messages from the Divine." And um, we're gonna—that's that, going to be a really interesting show. So you want to be here for that? And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.
0: Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.